0: We finished up a uh, a great series on Ephesians. Um, I got to wrap that up last week on our first Sunday back, and it was uh, it was just uh, amazing. Um, I, I feel like we're, we're going to start a new series this morning, and it's basically fight the fight for family. and And I feel like this morning, if you're taking notes, write down broken, write down the broken. Um, we are um, starting this out. Listen, every uh, I just feel like every couple years. Uh, our preaching staff feels like the need to do a series on family. How many of you know that family is just challenged, battered, divided, angry, amen? I really wanted to call we're, we're it, we're calling the series Fight for Family, I really wanted to call it, you know, th- the whole, you know, fam damly, but my creative team wouldn't let me go there. I'm like, yeah, but that's the truth, man. Uh, how many of you been just ter- terribly blessed, incredibly best- blessed by family, and incredibly wounded by family? Amen? Okay, we're going to get into this because I'm telling you, it's nothing new under the sun. What we experience, what we're walking through, this has been around for a long time now. Um, I see more fight in family these days than I see fight for family these days. And the truth is God started with family, promised blessing through family, sets the lonely in family, and created a spiritual church family. And, and 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 that's why I think there's just there's so much there's so much of a strategy and a scheme against it. So um for those of you that don't know our story, and for those of you who do, just just give me 60 seconds and to, to catch everybody else that doesn't know up. But Robbie and I um have been married for uh going on 42 years. And we have got two grown, incredible sons, two amazing daughters-in-laws that are just our girls, because we never had girls. Robbie was outnumbered in the house with, you know, three men in the house, three, and and we've got um, seven beautiful grandchildren, and most people looking outside would look and say, we've got a great family. And I agree, thanks to God. I agree, thanks to God. And a lot of times, when you get a picture of something, you don't really see the backstory. And if you see the backstory, and even your backstory, if you were to tell your history and what God has brought you through, what God has healed you through, what God has helped you to endure through, what God has mended, what He's tended, Lord, even though you've been offended, it's amazing what happens when God just comes together and takes this thing and all things, Romans 8 28, all things work together for good for those who love God and walk according to His purpose. Wow, that's great. So I never had a healthy family or fatherhood modeled to me. My great-grandfather had divorced in a time when you just didn't hear about it. My, my grandmother had divorced and was widowed twice. My mother was, was divorced five times. And Now don't get me wrong, um, my mom was a hero to me. All of her kids, all of her grandchildren are believers. Myself and and, and two of her grandsons are are in pastoral ministry. So she did a lot more things right than she did wrong. But she was battling an age-old scheme against family. She wasn't battling flesh and blood. She was battling principalities and powers that are actually coming against the family unit that God had designed, desired, and purposed to actually be a blessing on the earth. He spoke to Abraham and said, In you... All the families of the earth will be blessed. And we see that that thread coming through uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. But because of what I walk through, okay, I've got uh, 10 half brothers and sisters. I didn't know my legal given name until I was 16 years old. So every time my mom would marry, I'd have a different last name. Oh, your name now will be, you know, get enrolled in school. And they're like, okay, I'll, I'll get used to that. Every time I turned around, I was, you know, meeting a new stepsister, stepbrother, etc., etc. Uh, I, when I was 16, I finally met my my dad and realized that oh, I, I I've got a I've got a name and 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 it's Eklund and what it meant and the history and the family because it was just totally separated. Yeah. And you know, you know, through all of that, um, every time I turned around, it seemed like my family structure was changing. I didn't have any consistency. I didn't have any identity. Uh, I had a sister. Uh, my sister Deanna was born in San Antonio. So we lived down in Texas for a little bit. And my mom told me when I was a little guy, I was only about three years old, I'd see a man walking down the sidewalk and I'd run out there and say, are you my dad? Because I wanted a dad. I didn't have an identity. I, did, I, I, I didn't. You, you look at what God has done and you go, wow, they must have been born with a halo over their head. no. We were born broken just like you were. I was 35 years old before my bubble was popped and I found out I had an older sister. I thought I was the oldest. Now I have to figure out that whole psychological, sociological thing that happens when you're not the oldest, right? (laughs) A couple years later, I found out that I had another younger sister that I didn't know of. She's amazing. They're both amazing. And then about... Probably three or four years ago, I found out that I had a brother that we didn't know about, and his first name is the same as my first name. You can't make this stuff up. It's, I mean, it's just broken, crazy stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's crazy, but it's because there's a scheme, there's an enemy, there's an assignment, there's a devil, there's demonic stuff that just wants to happen, and your family is a prime target. So it would be really easy to start with how embattled the family unit is today, but I think everybody probably agrees. You know, some of y'all come in and you go, hey, wait till you hear my story. I've I've heard people that got more messed up stuff than I do. Like, whoa, you are messed up. I thought I was halfway normal. I mean, see, isn't that the deception though? When growing up like that, you think it's normal. You think everybody, you know, encounters that, you know, but then you run into like the Adams family, right? yeah Uncle Fester, and you know all this stuff, but when when we look at this, I want to start with how much purpose and how much plan and how much glory that God desires for the family that's why there's battles. so number one, the family was designed to worship together psalm ninety six seven it says, "Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength family." was designed to provide shelter. Psalm 107.41 says, but He sets the needy securely on high away from affliction. He makes His families like a flock. God spoke to individuals and to family when He would speak His Word. Jeremiah 2.4 says, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families. Somebody say Family of the house of Israel. Family was designed to build and war together. Family was designed to build and war together. Nehemiah 4.13 says, Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space, behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. God's designed the family to build together together and to war together. God still takes action to form family. It says in Psalm 68.6 that God places the lonely in family. Another translation says God places the solitary in family. You were not created to be solitary. You are created for community. When the enemy basically does what he does and causes you to be solitary, you get weird. We do. We do. We're not created like, we're created for community. It's not good that man should be alone. Okay? God has established family in heaven. This is this is awesome. Ephesians 3, 14 through 15. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. God would at times discipline um, He would discipline whole families for the action of one person because they're connected. God would also bless whole families because of one person, because they're connected. In 1 Chronicles 13, 14, it says, And the ark of God remained with the household of Obed-Edom and in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that he had because of his obedience. See, so we're committed to this series on family because God's committed to family. And there's a constant scheme of the enemy to destroy or at least redefine family, which in essence is destructive. A number of years ago, we, we did an invitation to our community. We were just trying to reach out. And so, uh, we, we, we felt like the Lord dropped a phrase on us. Um, our family, uh, your family, God's family. And so what we did was we we just made a little flyer up and we put it in the local newspaper. And the next couple of weeks, man, I kind of forgot we did that. And we had new people coming in and somebody said, hey, well, what's going on? I said, "Ah, oh, you know what? People are responding to actually the invitation of family because it resonates. It's what we were created. It's who we were created. And so there are, y'all, y'all with me? Okay, I don't want this to be like, you know, you take taking drink from a fire hydrant you know i 'll slow down if I need to i haven't preached for like three months i'm cutting everything down I did a wedding I did a wedding yesterday and i always I always ask the couple it's kind of tongue in cheek do you want the forty five minute wedding sermon or the fifteen minute one? Nobody's ever taken me up on the forty five minute one i don 't know why but anyway so well, it was kind of funny, and I, I think she would be fine with me saying this. So the, basically, the, um, the, 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 the grandma was, was kind of working me a little bit. It's like, hey, hey, can you make sure that the sermon is short? I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, I'll shorten it up a little bit. Well, then I'm talking to grandpa, and grandpa hasn't been in church for a long time. And so I said, well, when I found that out, I just made it longer. Got a captive audience. Family is fun. So there's elements that we see historically that have affected the family. One of those, uh, I want you to consider the Industrial Revolution. There's a National Geographic article that compiled some things, and, and, and they write, perhaps the most harmful consequences of industrialization were those affecting families. Before industrialization, families served both social and economic purposes. Married couples... And their children worked together in farms or shops in 18th century Great Britain, for example. Men and women would work together uh, in their homes doing jobs like, um, you know, spinning wool into textiles and and weaving those into cloth, and then they sold their products in in a system that was called the putting out or the domestic system. However, with the rise of factories, meant that most male workers no longer worked at home. Some men had to leave their families. Uh, behind for jobs in the city. You started seeing, you know, people moving from kind of the spread out real thing back, you know, into into the city kind of uh, situation. And even then when the men would stay with their families, factory jobs were often so difficult. that little time for family, for relaxation and family life. Consider that secular culture redefines is attempting always to redefine family and traditional biblical marriage. Okay, now I want to be careful here because I love people and, and 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 I I just have a heart for the broken. And listen, we're all broken. I mean, God loves the person that's basically caught in the sin of gossip, right? Doubt, right? Or a different lifestyle. We, we we have to we have to keep our hearts right even when we address these things in truth. But Jesus defines Matthew 19:4 as marriage is between a man and a woman. Our culture tries to redefine marriage, but the creator is the one who gets to define what he's created. If I create something, I have the right to say this is what it is. Somebody can't come in and say no, I want to rename that for you. No, that doesn't that's not how it works. Consider the spirit of division and divorce. And and once again, please hear me on divorce. There are likely many people like me uh, here today that have walked through a divorce. And I'm not here to judge you. Um, I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm not here to disqualify you from moving forward. There's a battle and in, in any battle, there's casualties of war. But we serve a God who is so faithful to, to, to bring restoration and to bring new seasons in life and people, then if you're a casualty of that war in some sorts, I'm grateful that there's healing and restoration and new seasons of those wholeness of head. Ma- the matter of the fact is we're all broken. The first marriage, think about this. I did a wedding yesterday. There was a lot of family and friends gathered around to witness that union. And you know, the purpose of that is not so, hey, you know what? There's going to be a really good food afterwards. The purpose of family and friends coming is to basically, they're saying, I'm going to support the witness. I'm 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 going to I'm going to support the 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 married couple. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to help them in there. So God actually put together the first marriage. He was the only witness. And guess what? It ended up being tragically broken. Okay, so we all come from some sort of a broken uh, b- uh, history. When sin entered the willful choice of Adam and Eve, there was a release, this illegal operating system, this thing that we call sin. And this DNA, spiritual DNA, so to speak, it started in the beginning. Now I want to show you how sin changed the relationship even. I want to show you this. It says in Genesis 2, verse 22 and 23, and the Lord fashioned into a woman the rib. Somebody say rib. Rib. Because we're going to address that word rib. Uh, And the Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Okay? So this was like, did you recognize that God actually named Adam, but God did not name Eve? Okay. So, so when this happened, now, 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 well, let me read chapter three, what happens after the fall, and then let me explain something. So now in chapter three, we've seen that, that Adam has partaken of what was forbidden. They've fallen. They've hidden. There's been shame. Something changed drastically. And it says in Genesis 3.20, now the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. I want you to just note that. I'd never really kind of seen this distinction before. But once again, God named Adam. God never named Eve. And Adam named her in the beginning and called out her purpose. Jewish scholars believe that most of the time where we, I mean, you know, we're we're looking at this and our translation says rib, well, that's not translated more than about two times as rib, that, that Hebrew uh, word in there. It's mostly translated in a different way, which the Jewish scholar, uh, w- w- they would teach that it's a side, that, that God took one side of a man, he split the man in half, and he formed the woman from one side and the man from the other side. And in this, he recreated this human into two separate beings from one being, basically saying we are one and the same. When Adam Adam says, when he said, I will call her woman, that, that word means humankind. And in essence, he was saying, we are the same. Now what happened is after the fall, he named her Eve, which changed her purpose. It's kind of interesting. Something shifted when sin entered. And it changed her purpose. And then we see there's, there's basically three things that happen in the fall. We've, we see that there's a, there's a shame. They hid themselves from God. There's the blame. It's her fault. Where was your voice, Adam? Where was your leadership? Because before you said, we're the same. Now you're saying, ooh, she's different. And then we see that there's basically uh, blame, shame, and competition. You see, there's there's, there's something different. So we've all been given a heritage of brokenness from the first family. Look at the dysfunctional families in the Bible. The first family had a son who killed the other son. We see the competition, you know. God had said, hey, this is the this is the required, this is what I honor as a sacrifice. The other son, rebellion, and like, you know, I want to offer this, and, and basically jealousy. Uh Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. How many of you ever did like like kind of cruddy things to your siblings? Seriously. Man, I've I just, you know, they say confession is good for the soul, right? I did some cruddy things to my siblings. I really did. I mean. Gosh, my my two sisters, we—I would mean, out in the yard. I remember one time, it's like I got a dart, right? Like, run, pff, run, pooh, right on the head. Seriously. <laughs> and then my younger sister, and she's probably watching. Please forgive me. I I, I ask you for she—it's like my mom raised really strict with m- myself and my 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 sister. And then my younger sister came along about like you know ten years later. And it's like. All the rules changed. And she was just, I'm sorry, she was a brat. You were a brat. Sorry, you were a brat. And we would do mean things to her. We would try to, I mean, seriously, we raised like, oh man, this is way transparent. Okay, so we, so we raised like turkeys, right? Have you ever been around turkeys? They are mean. Turkeys can be mean. And so she would just be doing her little stuff and my sister and I look around and we just throw her in their turkey pen. Seriously, they just flog on her, and we come and rescue her. And I mean, dude, so I'm amazed she loves me. I'm her favorite brother today. And Actually, I'm her only brother, so she has to love me. But if you think about this, look at what Joseph's brothers did. They sold him into slavery. Actually, they wanted to kill him, but, you know, God's plan and God's purpose. How about Isaac's family? Esau and Jacob were at Oz. Stolen birthright. Man, I've walked with families that are fighting over, like, inheritance stuff. It's nothing new. It's been around because it's a great tactic of the enemy. Or King David's first son was a rapist. Absalom, his second son, tried to steal the kingdom from him and slept with all of David's wives. His son Solomon, even though he was given the gift of wisdom, just married everyone that he wanted to sleep with. You talk about a messed up family. How about Moses and his family? Oh, Moses, greatest prophet in Israel. How about, let me, let, let me just, I love this story. I think it's so good. You guys with me? All right, Exodus four twenty-one through 26. It says, uh, and we're going we're to read just through 23 because I don't want to give it away. But the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I put in your power, but I will harden his heart so he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And so I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So now what we find is Moses is moving forward with an amazing mandate. God's been training him, teaching him, giving him really cool, mad skills. I mean, seriously, can you imagine how stinking cool it would be to have a staff that when you threw it down, it turned into a, like a snake? Or a hand, when you put your hand in your robe and pulled it out, it would be leprous. And then you would put it back, and it would be healed. Seriously, you could shake up the local coffee shop. Just walk in there and just... <laughs> pff, pff. I mean, cool stuff, right? Right? So, great purpose. Israel's been in captivity for 400 years. Moses is the man of God. He's going. He's going to deliver them. And then something happens. Right here in this passage. It says in verse 24, Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Oh, wait a minute. I thought it was the man for the hour. I I thought it was the deliverer. And it said, then Zipporah, that's his wife, so Zippy took a flint and cut off her, no, you can't, you, think about this. She took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin. Circumcision, y'all, ooh. <laughs> Threw it at Moses' feet and said, you're indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. And so he let him alone and that time says, you're a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So here's the big story. God was going to kill Moses. Even with all the purpose, he was going to delay Israel being delivered because something wasn't happening in Moses' family. The issue was that Moses was teaching precepts and things to the people that he wasn't implementing in his own home. That's what's happening. That's why his wife basically said, Hey, I hear you teaching, I hear you preaching, but we're not doing it here. My son is not part of this covenant that's supposed to be important between you and God. Woo, family. Praise God, his wife fought for him, right? There have been times in your marriage when your spouse will fight for you. Because, you know, it's not like you're both kind of up on the same time. You know, you'd like, whoa, she's up, I'm down, blah, blah, blah. I led my wife to the Lord. We had been, we had been, um, seeing each other for about three months, four months, maybe five months, and we started talking about marriage. It didn't take me that long. I, I I knew within about five minutes, if she would have me, that I would give my life to her. took her a little bit longer. But, I mean, at the time, man, I was out of high school, and, I, and my dream was to be like a guitar slinger, just a rock and roll, whatever. That's what we did. We actually... Music had really brought us together. We got married. We had a rock and roll band. We traveled for, you know, a year and a half, two years. That's what we did. But it's kind of interesting because when we go back, there's this point in time when um, I'm not like, I'm not walking a righteous life, man. And we were sitting out in the car and, and we could park in front and her, as long as her dad was on the porch, we could talk for a while, right? After, after a date, and I remember we talked about marriage, and, and I, I basically told her, hey, do not, because my mom raised us up to know the Lord. I was not walking with the Lord. And I was walking in stuff that, you know, that particular lifestyle lends it to, right? Might have had a beer in one hand and a bong in the other. I don't know. Just being open. And I remember telling her, hey, if you're going to marry me, you have to know something that I need to walk with Jesus. And she looked at me like a mule staring at a new gate because she wasn't raised in church at all. She's like, whoa, what? I said, no, I I know I got to walk with Jesus. And so we ended up getting married. She actually gave her life to the Lord. I mean, uh, shortly after that, you know, I told her, hey, you know, just pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. And she went home and, She said, well, this is stupid, but Lord, if you're real, I need to know. And boom, the Holy Spirit just comes in, convicts her of her sin. She's crying. She's giving her life to the Lord. And then I'm in trouble because I'm not wanting to like, you know, she's like, I think we should go to church, church, right? But I mean, she started contending for me. I'm in a backslidden state. She's going to church and she's reading the Bible. And she's like, she's pressing in. That's sometimes that's what happens. Speaking of marriage, I heard Pastor Robert Moore say this, and it really resonated with him. It's so true. He said, marriage is designed to kill you. And I thought, ooh, that's hard, man. But what it's designed to is, is designed so that you will die to yourself. It's hard to be married if you're selfish. It's hard to be married if it's all about me. It's all about, you know, you know, when you hear somebody say, well, he or she is not meeting my needs. You know what that is? That's a sign of selfishness and a sign of immaturity. Yes, right. you, know what, you know what the, like the, the word, man, I, I can do this. The word righteousness. Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him as righteousness. That word righteousness is a Hebrew word that if we see it played out, it means like if there's righteousness between my brother and I, then it's almost like I'm in a position where I'm saying, no, it's all about you. I want to do what blesses you. I want to do what what, what encourages you. I want to serve you. He's doing the same thing to me. And in the middle, both of our needs get met. That's what the marriage is supposed to be like. No, it's all about about me. Yeah, I know it's about me. That's cool. I'm glad you came to that conclusion. No, that doesn't work. (laughs) It's got to be that. So I want to give you some things this morning. You guys hanging with me? Okay, you hanging with me online? Okay, cool. (laughs) My little sister might have shut me off already. She might have, (laughs) we'll deal with offense next week. How to fight for family. How to fight for family. Number one, gather to worship. Gather to worship. Remember that passage? Psalm 96.7, Ascribe to the Lord all families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Gather as a family to worship. Model as a family to worship. Be the same at home as you are in the church. Pastor Tommy Barnett said this. He said, "I never lead devotions at home. I just led a devoted life at home." I thought that's super powerful. Be in church, unapologetically. I have been pastoring people for probably 30 years. I have seen a marked difference on people that make the things of God, what's important to God, what's important to Jesus first in their life. I've seen it time and time again. Men engage and model worship for your children. You know, I've heard it said, a great counselor friend of mine said this one time. He said, what parents do in moderation, their children will do in excess. Like, boo, we are modeling something. Model going to a marriage retreat. Oh, I don't want to go to a marriage retreat. That sounds like yuck night. (laughs) You know why I go to a marriage retreat? I've been married for 41 years, almost 42 I kind of think we have it pretty well figured out, but I want to model something to the next generation. I want to model something that, man, we still got stuff, right? I mean, we still got stuff to work out. I do. You do. You know, you still might have like some really intense fellowship on the way to church. You know what I'm saying? But we have to model some things. I love it when I've got one of my grandbabies with me and I'm holding them in worship because what I'll do is I'll make sure I'm worshiping. I want them to have memories and have it modeled of their, of their, of their papa being committed and being there. You're setting something up. If you, if you, if you take every excuse, well, you know what? I, I, you know, I go to church, but listen, this is not, you know, something came up. Guess what they see? They see it's not a priority in your life. We're modeling something for the next generation. I'm not, take, I'm not talking about being legalistic, but you have to be in church. God's designed the gathering, the community, the spiritual thing for our good. You are designed for our good. You were designed for my good. I'm designed for your good. It works together. This is how God's created it. Let me give you some statistics about gathering. The average American spends an average of 1,000 hours a year watching television. 1,000 hours a year watching television. Now, a person who is age 65 will spend an average of eight years of their life watching television. 65. Okay? Keep following me. In contrast, a person... Who goes to church every Sunday? I'm not talking about, you know, two out of three I'm talking every Sunday, for 65 years, you will spend eight months of your life in church. Eight years? Eight months. And in those eight months, you are absolutely being assaulted. Your core values, there's an attempt, there's an agenda. They're trying to change the way that you think, change the way that you live, perceive, change your perception on things. There's a constant there's a constant barrage. I'm not trying to beat you up or be legalistic. I just want to present some truth that may help shift something for a new season in your life, a fruitful season, a harvesting season. God knew He could trust Abraham, for example, because of his faithfulness at home. And thus there's a battle at home and battle for family. Genesis 18, 19, it says, For I've chosen him, speaking of Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's promised him. Now different translations use the word chosen, known, or settled. Knowing God changed me. Once again, why is the gathering so important, even to me personally? Because it was never modeled in my home. I had, I had, in the gathering of the community of believers, which is biblical, says in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but even more so as you see the day approaching got all kinds of people out there. Hey, the day's approaching. Well, then you should be gathering more. We should be coming together more. We should be worshiping more, strengthening one another more, getting basically your full armor on. But I never had this stuff modeled for me, except in the spiritual community. It saved my marriage. I'd run into spiritual men that, that, that had a fathering heart. I'd run into couples that were, I mean, it wasn't like it was perfect. I remember being in church one time. Back in the day when we were just kind of growing up in the Lord, and, and the church was celebrating this couple that had just, I think they'd had 50 or 60 years anniversary. I mean, it's like, man, y'all got married when you got off the boat. <laughs> and anyway, so Elmer stands up and you know, the, the whole church is applauding, and he stands up and he says, Yeah, you know, here's the secret. In 60 years of marriage, We've never once said the word divorce. He said, murder, kill, yes. (laughs) Never, you know what I'm saying. When I changed as a man, it affected my family. When I was healed and restored, it affected the atmosphere. When the things of God became important to me, they became important to my family. When and where I led, my family prospered. When I gave, my family gave. When I became a man of worship, my family worshiped. When I served, my family served. When I repented, my family learned how to repent. When God chose me, He also healed me. He directed me. He spoke to me and my family and my household benefited. When God spoke to me about misplaced priorities, it brought my family back into alignment. When God spoke to me about being a selfish man, it affected my family. When God spoke to me about being an angry man, it changed how my wife and children looked and related to me. These things are more caught than taught. Number two is guard. Guard. you got to guard. All... You, you guard the entry points in your home, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, my wife's a lot better than I am. We live in a great neighborhood. I don't think about it too much, but man, she loves that deadbolt. Deadbolt. You guard the back door. You guard, I mean, she'll, we leave somewhere and she'll lock every door in the house and every window in the house. I'm just like, oh, man, I don't know. She's a lot better. She's always been better about guarding than I have. Wisdom says you guard the entry points. And you know the entry points into your life? They're your ear gate. They're your eye gate. They're your heart. They're your thoughts. Woo, come on. What's that going in your ear gate there? What's that going in your eye gate? I mean, even Job realized, man, sometimes he says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How therefore could I gaze on a virgin? Even Job realized, woo, I got to be careful here because you know what? There's some pretty good looking ladies out there. Remember when we talked about our culture is shifting the definition of traditional marriage? I want you to think about the entry points that culture has to enter your home. And here's where I want to be very careful and very sensitive. I love people. I have family members that I love and they walk in a a lifestyle that is what I do not see. I still love them and I want to reach them. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not judging them. I'm not bashing them. I'm trying to be super sensitive. But I also want to be truthful. So for example, do you recognize that 3.5% of people in the United States identify with being LGBTQ? 3%, okay? Have you noticed that Hollywood always has to have some characters, episodes that promote that agenda? Try to normalize that agenda. Not beating up on anybody, just trying to uncover some truth. It would be like if I had 100 guys and there was three of them that had Toyota pickups. 97 of them had Fords, Chevys, Dodges. But every time we watched the show, there would be an episode with a Toyota pickup in it. Pretty soon I'd be going, they're trying to sell me something. They're trying to get me shifted out of my, you know... For, I'm not like a huge Ford guy, but I mean, it's, it's all good. I know we have families that have named their kids after Fords. It's all good. It's good. Found on road dead. Just messing with you, bro. Or we normalize. Or we normalize that living together without being married is normal. That's redefining biblical truth. God never intended couples to live together unless they were under the covenant of marriage. Don't settle for God's less than God's best. I mean, I've talked to couples and walked them through stuff and loved them through stuff where they finally say, okay, I think it's time to do this. And then when they come under that that, that covenant of blessing that God has created, they go, why didn't I do this earlier? Okay, this is what's best for you. God's created what's best for us. And sometimes we we have a culture that's trying to redefine that. There's a curriculum, there is curriculum that's been introduced into our public school system that you need to be involved in. Recently, the former governor of Virginia who is running for re-election said this. He said, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. Fire on that. No way. You need to be involved. You need to know. You need to communicate. A beautiful family... Basically, their kids are great. I ask him and said, "Your kids are just—I mean, they're—they're they're going to public school. You guys are involved. What, what do you—what do you do that it kind of helps you contend?" He says, "We just—we just—we just download and communicate with them all the time. What'd you learn today in health? What'd you learn today in social sciences?" Oh, that's not what we believe because this is what the Bible says. Oh, okay, good. You got to communicate. You got to walk your young people through this. Okay, think about this. Look at—let's look at some school statistics. If, if you look at five days a week, approximately um, 35 hours a, a week at nine months, typical school year is approximately 16,200 hours a year. If your child never missed youth group, never missed a Sunday gathering, they would spend about 1,000 hours a year in that culture, in a kingdom culture. In a hopeful culture, in a in a Jesus culture, sixteen thousand hours versus a thousand. That's why we're fighting an all time on, on on teen suicide, depression, anxiety, addiction, uh, identity loss. Because we, I, I mean, it's like we're taking a knife to a gunfight. We, we we have to we, we have to look at this. Our job. Parents, can I say this? Your job is not to be a friend with your kid, but to train them up in the way they should go. When they they get older, then you can be friends. I'm not saying being really weird, but some parents, well, I just can't do this because I have friendships. Like your job is not to actually raise your kid up to be a world-class NFL football player or get this degree or that great your job is to actually to raise them up as world-class believers in Jesus and all the other stuff can come it's not that you don't have to do that stuff but listen sometimes there is such a misappropriation of our time our energy we had kids our two boys were really good athletes Baseball players, basketball players, man, I mean, they went to camps they were, they, they, they were on you know like hot shot you know uh, teams and all this stuff. but we always made sure okay you're going to you 're going to basketball camp, guess what you are also going to youth camp we 're going to immerse you into this because we need to parent you well. The next one I want to say is guard and grace your family, guard your family, basically Robbie and I. Rarely, if ever, fought and uncovered each other in family. We always made sure the intense fellowship happened outside of where our kids were. Because we never wanted to, you know, I didn't want to see, I didn't want to have them see Robbie just screaming and lose control. (laughs) Redhead, y'all. No, she's actually. (laughs) She's actually always been better than me. She just gets quiet. I mean, you know, something going, like, and I, she just gets quiet. I'm like, oh man, I pushed the wrong button. She is basically quiet. We we never, we never, um, if you've been in church for long, you realize this is a church family. And sometimes, the, you know, it's not made up of people that are perfect. Sometimes you're gonna conflict with people, amen? And probably somebody here right now is really conflicting with me and what I'm saying. It's like, ooh, But you know what we never did? We never had the church or the leadership to lunch with our family. Our kids up. No, what I'm saying is we never went home with our kids and complained about, well, you know, the leader's doing this and he's doing this and that person looked at me wrong and blah, blah, blah. We protected and graced our kids. And our kids love the church. You have to grace these things. Number three, create the culture of communication. We talked about that a little bit. Talk with your kids. Listen, I, I remember preaching one time. I was kind of a young pastor just taking a church. And I said the word sex in a sermon. And I had a lady get up with her daughter and walk out. And I'm going, hmm, that doesn't bode well. Listen, you got to talk to your kids. you got to communicate. I mean, if you listen, if you won't talk to them about stuff like that, guess what? The school system will. The culture will. Hollywood will. They'll try to normalize stuff that really is not core values for us. You've got to be able to do that. Okay, let's have the sex talk. <laughs> Fourth is create a culture of honor. Tell your kids the why before the what. Tell them the why before the what. Or if you tell them what for first, at least tell them why for later. Build them up and don't tear them down. Build them up. I mean, I've, I've seen family units that their whole, their whole they don't have a love, love language. They have a, you're an idiot. You never, you always mess up. Don't tell them that. Instruct them, lead them, guide them. Number five, know the community of people that impact your family. I was talking to Robbie and I said, so what do you think is important about fighting for family? And she brought this up. It was great. She says, know your kids' friends. I'm like, oh, that is so good. Know your kids' friends. Know the influence. Know if they're influencing your kids or your kids are influencing them. And the second thing she said was, know your husband's friends. I'm like, oh, snap. (laughs) But she's right. And then I said, well, know your wife's friends. And that's good, because you need to know the community that's influencing your family. You've got to be wise. Number six, you all 'all hanging with me? Okay. Be a person of pursuit. We know how to pursue things. Good deals. We live in a hunting culture. I pursued my wife. Tell you what, I saw her, and I was like, ooh, I'm going after her. Seriously, we know how to pursue stuff, don't we? Yeah. I mean, you know, in our hunting culture, I mean, you know, guys are dressing up in camo and they're using special soap to make sure their clothes don't stink. And I mean, we're like ninjas out in the woods, right? <laughs> Put my camo on, i look at my wife and say, you can't see me. <laughs> I was giving her a hard time about her outfits. She's got outfits. And she says, well, you got outfits. I'm like, what do you talk about? She says, yeah, you go, you go buy clothes from Cabela's Outfitters. My wife loves to hunt deals at Goodwill stores. Seriously, she can sniff out a Goodwill store from like 50 miles away. I'll be going to like, you know, Cabela's or a guitar shop and she'll say, hey, there's a Goodwill right on the way. Or she'll find hunting buddies. She'll find find a couple people that love to go hunting for. I'm like, you guys just, I'll go and I'll drop her off and I'll take a nap in the parking lot. I will. I'm sleeping. Let me know. And then you know what happens? Here's the crazy thing. I, seriously, this has happened more than once. I'm in Cabela's. I've dropped her off at Goodwill or something like that. And she's hunting. Man, she cannot. You've never seen, maybe your wife does. I don't know. I don't watch how these ladies do it. But she can r- rifle through like the clothes hanger thing. I mean, it's just like. Just like that. It's like, you know, one of us shooting off a magazine, an AR or something. It's crazy. How can you, but I, I'm in Cabela's. She's there. I'm dropped her off. It's good. And she'll call me and say, hey, I found a really nice coat for you. It's like, really? Cool. She pursues. There's also kingdom things to pursue. And 1 Timothy 6, it says, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perse- perseverance. Who in their right mind wants to pursue perseverance and gentleness? It says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you're called, and for which you were made the good confession in the presence of my witnesses. When I see that, and I see fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life. So many times we are living way below our call. We're called, man, I mean, our destiny, our our purpose is in heaven. We're called to bring kingdom down to earth, and so many times we're just living on an earthly base level instead of living above, keeping our mind on those things above and not below. It's crazy how we do this. You also fight for your family by pursuing those things, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. These are the elements of a good fight. Can I just say this, guys? Pursue your spouse. I don't care if you've been married for 42 years. Pursue them. They like to be pursued. They like to, like, hey, you know, I mean, I- I'm terrible. My wife has to coach me all the time. I am. I'm like, she's amazing. I mean, I'm married way, way above my pay grade. I know that. But she has to come out and say, How do I look? I'm like, Oh, man, she beat me to it. You look amazing. Can I give you a little tip? If your wife comes out and says, "How do I like?" Just never say "fine." I, I did that before; It didn't go well. Pursue your kids. Pursue your kids. Be a source so that you reap great family. Can I have? Would you just come up and and uh, we're we're going to close this down? One of the greatest promises, great promises to Abraham, was that it knew all the families of the earth. Will be blessed, and it shows God's heart for family. It shows God's heart for blessing. God wants to bless families. He wants to encourage them. He wants to heal them. He wants to repair the mend. The word that I got in prayer the day was that God wants to mend. He wants to mend. He wants to repair. He wants to take that. He wants to tend some things and he wants to mend some things. And 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 I feel like I want to pray, and then we want to do something. A little bit different to close the service. First of all, just bow with me. We're just going to go with it. We'll see what the Holy Spirit will do. Lord, I praise you and thank you. And I'm reminded of your word that says that you set the solitary into family. And God, there might be some spiritually solitary people here today. There might be people here today that, or with us online, that you've never taken the step of faith to accept the invitation through Jesus Christ for eternal life for life abundant knowing that that Jesus is the son of God that he died that he was raised up on the third day he's coming again and there's an invitation in the spirit in the word of God that's the gospel the good news is that Jesus if you've never taken the step maybe you felt the presence of God maybe you've had God even speak to you before but you've never taken that step to say I become a follower of Christ today I'm going to give you that opportunity nobody else is looking around just me if that's you today and you're saying I want to receive this Jesus I want to ask him into my heart I believe if that's you today that's your step of faith and confession Right where you're at, I want you to just raise your hand and just wave at me. Make sure I see you. Say, Pastor, today I'm making a commitment to walk with this Jesus. If that's you today, just kind of let me know. Just to say, Hey, here I am. Here I am. Thank you, sir. I see one guy in the back. Thank you, sir. I see another. Anybody else this morning where you're saying, Hey, today is my day? I mean, you may not understand it all. I didn't understand my wife. When I made the covenant commitment to her, it's basically been 41 years of just learning and walking and journeying. That's the way it is with Jesus too. Father, thank you so much. Now, the second thing that I want to pray, I want to have our prayer teams, leaders, elders, whoever's in the building, I want you to come up front because what we want to do is we want to pray a blessing over family today. If your family's doing great, we want you to be greater. If your family is has been uh, torn up, we want there to be amending. mending. If your if your family's been struggling, I, it doesn't matter financially. We want there to be health. We if your family's been struggling with sickness or with uh, you know or some somebody comes in a, in a mind you realize man I'm there's a fracture. We believe that God wants to mend that. So let's all stand together, and Robbie's going to lead us and sing, and as she does that, just come up. And let somebody just bless you. Let somebody just lay hands on you. It's good. It's in the Bible. Let somebody just let let God impart as as we just take a few minutes. Can we do that? God, you want to bless family. Come on. Come on. Lord, bless you. Come on. And keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord is his you. He wants to bless family. Come on, He wants to bring some amazing things your way. Come on, He wants to heal some things. Amen. Sometimes it takes a shift of faith, it takes a step of faith. Just I'm taking a step. I'm taking a step into that. It's like the woman that pressed through the crowd. She had some stuff going on and she pressed through to say, I need to be touched. I need to touch the Lord today. That's the desire of God. Come on, church, let's sing this. The Lord bless you. bless families we bless the families God bless children God bless moms and dads Lord God Jesus let's sing that one more time let's sing that one more time the Lord bless you Let's extend our hands. Let's just worship. minister to some people up here if you're if you're a guest this morning we would just love to connect with you at the information desk on the left we've got a gift we'd love to love to just just meet and, and bless you if you gave your life to the lord listen to me if you gave your life to the lord for the first time there's going to be somebody over here in front of these doors on my left your right would love to connect. We got some resources for you. We'd love to pray with you, love to pray for you. And, and with that, Lord, I just thank you for your people. We just ask God that you continue to bless them, continue to heal us, continue to empower us, continue to equip us, continues to give us hope, continues, to, God, to give us a, a, not a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And we commit this to you in the name of Jesus. And they all said, amen.